0: to hear the words of Holy Scripture. We'll be reading today various selections from the creation accounts in the book of Genesis. Uh, We'll be reading Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and verses 26 and 27, and Genesis 2, 18. So I invite you to hear the word. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness Covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Downward. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2.18 And then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I thought today that we could do a puzzle. So I brought a puzzle. When we assemble all 1,000 pieces of this puzzle, we will have a fantastic picture. So let's get started. Where does this go? Okay, uh, maybe we don't know. So maybe what we need to do is we need to pull out some more pieces. So uh, I pull out this piece, and so they don't seem to quite fit together. They don't exactly look the same. I could force it, but my dad told me never to do that or else. So we're not going to try that. Um, maybe if we knew what the pieces were supposed to be, we could get a sense of what, uh, how they all fit together. So this piece is, is kind of blue, so maybe... Maybe this is a bit of Sky. Maybe it's Cookie Monster. Or maybe it's the Vegas show of the Blue Man Group. Who knows? But this one, this one is different. So I'm not quite sure. How do these pieces relate? How do they fit together? What do they make? Well, luckily, uh, I must have gotten a really fancy version because my puzzle came with a cheat sheet. Uh, Right there on the box, this was a great idea, right there on the box is a picture picture. And it's not just a pretty picture, it's actually what the puzzle's supposed to be. Uh, I was 37 years old when I figured that out. I'm kidding. Um, so this is how it's supposed to look. It's a serene uh, cottage setting in the snow. It looks serene, but we live in Georgia because we don't think snow is so serene. Um, this, with this big picture in mind, we can get a better sense of where each little piece might fit in the big picture, and we might be on our way. Uh, to getting the puzzle together. And I wonder, do you ever feel like reading the Bible is a bit like having a bag of puzzle pieces? Uh, Don't worry if you do, because a lot of people do. The Bible, it's important. It's the best-selling book of all time. Maybe not the most widely read, but the best-selling book of all time. In fact, um, We as Christians believe that it's the written word of God that reveals God to us and our salvation and its nourishment for our lives, and that's pretty important. What could be more crucial to our lives than that? But honestly, the Bible Bible can be a little puzzling. I mean, let's start with one thing. This one book is not one book. (laughs) Sorry. It's got, looks like one. It's got two covers and a ton of pages, but just open to your table of contents and you'll see very quickly that there's actually 66 books, that this book is actually a library of 66 different writings with something between 35 and 49 or who knows how many writers and many genres You might read along and find some poetry and read along and find some history and read along and find some genealogies. Everybody says, Amen, I love me some biblical genealogies. And if it sounds like, as you're reading along, that it comes from a different time and place, you're right. It does. Absolutely does. And so it can be a little bit confusing sometimes. It can feel like pulling a puzzle piece out of this bag. Say, I know that this is a part of it. This is important, but where does it go? So what if what if you reach in the bag and you're daily reading your Bible verses this piece right here? Maybe you're gonna read Leviticus eleven seven today. Maybe that's what you're gonna read. And it says, and the pig. They're talking about me, they're not talking about me. Okay. Though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. Okay, so you puzzle through what all that means. And then, what, so the Bible says we can't eat pork? But what about the rusty pig? And wait, didn't we just have that at church like four weeks ago? So, but then you, then you pull out, maybe you pull out another piece, and maybe you pull out, like, Acts chapter 10, a, a couple verses there, where God shows Peter all, a vision of all of these animals, which includes a pig, and he says, kill and eat. And you're like, okay, so it's okay now. Is, is everything in the Bible like that? How in the world do these things fit together? It can be mighty confusing. You can eat shrimp. Please eat shrimp. But not only can it be confusing, but it can be a little dangerous. Let's say uh, when people take just one piece of the puzzle and they build a whole worldview and theology around it. Take Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, for example. It says this. Slaves, obey, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ." And so people throughout history, including the very history of our own nation, have taken this one puzzle piece and used this one puzzle piece to justify a whole world of slavery. And and to be true, the Bible does talk about slaves. There were slaves in the culture when it's written, and the Bible does mention them. But when you look at the rest of the puzzle pieces and you see how it all fits together in the story of the Bible, you can see that people are not objects to be owned, but they are creations of God to be honored. This story of the Scriptures, when it's taken in its whole, tells the story of freedom for all people. All people everywhere. The Bible isn't a collection of just disembodied truths, like you can just open up to random pages and they'll be wonderful to you, uh, but you're in the middle of something when you do that. It's not just truth one, truth two, truth three, truth four. And quite frankly, I've, I've heard it said a lot, and I've tried it myself, and it doesn't work. Uh, the Bible is not really even a divine instruction book that you had to mail off for because it didn't come with you when you were born. And on step one, it's got what to do when you're newborn and what to do. Okay, I'm 60, and I'm about to retire, and it's summertime. Let me open to page 430, step three. Uh huh. Wouldn't it be nice if it did that, though? You feel it? Uh, God, my daughter is four and I'm going nuts. Oh, page 50. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, there was a potty training section. That would have been helpful. Try it if you want to. Try it. Try it. Find step one. Find step two. Find step three. It's hard to do that. And we can actually confuse people uh, when, and confuse ourselves when we find it uh, that way. But, but really, what is the Bible? The Bible is one continuous story told across 66 books in many different genres of literature one continuous story and that is god's story the one story of the narrative of god's remarkable and life-giving work in the world and we ought to know it why because we are a part of this story The story that unfolds between the covers of the Bible is a story that we, by God's grace, can live into. God's story becomes a part of our story because we become a part of God's story. And we have a stake in how it ends. Well, we have a stake in how we end in relation to the story. And wouldn't it be wise to know what's happened before and what might be ahead and what might be going on in the story of God's world if we are to live faithfully as holy people. And so today, we're going to start a series that will help us do just that. And it's called Long Story Short. And it's for short people like me. I'm kidding. It's called Long Story Short. And we'll get some help from a biblical scholar named James McNall, who has a book of the same name. It's a great resource. We'll be using that a little bit. And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to be look, learning the big picture of God, the Bible's story. And it'll be like having the image on the front of the puzzle box to help us know as we're reading where the pieces will go and how things fit together when we're reading the Bible. And so, to give us our guideline, the Bible story unfolds in six simple movements across the many books of the Bible. And we'll address one each week. The first movement talks of creation. The second is the fall. That is the entrance of sin in the world. And it doesn't take long for things to go awry when people are involved. And we'll talk about the fall which taints all of creation. We'll talk about the story of Israel. The Bible talks about Jesus and then the church and then new creation. And you can see that narrative go from creation like a plot line into trouble into resolution, and into the world in which we live, which is leading towards the new creation, the recreation of God's world through the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. And so my hope is, is that over the next few weeks, it it rekindles or kindles your love for Scripture, your reading of the Bible, and that it equips you to understand how it all fits together, even just a little bit better, so that you can see yourself in God's story, so that we can see ourselves in God's story. And so I tried to figure out where we should begin, and then I opened to Genesis chapter 1, and it said, in the beginning. So I thought maybe we should start at the beginning with creation. The Bible begins with an extraordinary revelation. God created the universe. God created created the universe. And the story is told primarily in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, but you get echoes of it throughout. You can find echoes in the book of Job and uh, in the Psalms and references, but primarily here in Genesis 1 and 2 we find that story. But before we dive into taking a closer look at what's going on here, let me give you a few tips. First, the Bible not found in the science book section. The Bible is a theology book. The Bible will not tell you the molecular weight of the very first atoms. The Bible will not tell you the number of therms with which the sun put off at its creation. What will the Bible tell you? The Bible will instead narrate the beautiful story of an all-powerful God that lovingly created and spoke everything in the universe into creation, including people. And so... We read it as such. The second thing you'll notice, and you can pull your Bibles out. There's some in the pew racks. This will be interesting. And maybe you did not catch this. Did you know that in the first two chapters of Genesis, there are two accounts of creation? There are two accounts of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, in the first account, you find it mainly in chapter 1, extending a few verses into chapter 2. This one has like a, a wide-angle view of of all the creative acts of God across the universe. And it poetically recounts the creation of all things, and it flows like a song with rhythm and meter, showing the delight of God, creating everything like a master artist. And then in chapter 2, you can see uh, the second account. And it takes that wide-angle lens and zeroes it down and says, let's take a look and tell the story of how God created People for relationship with Him, and then you see here, particularly the creation and the story of the Adam and Eve and God walking with them in the garden. And so, with all of that in mind, let's turn over to our big question for the day: What does the Bible say about how God created the universe? First thing: God created a good. And purposeful universe. God created a good and purposeful universe. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. At the very end of it, it says, And God saw that it was good. I like that. You know, sometimes I try to make something and I say, And Jim saw that that was pretty rough, I need to start again. But God saw that it was good. The word good appears seven times in the first chapter of. Genesis and the creation story. In fact, this whole phrase right here and God saw that it was a good was good repeats itself 5 times in the first story of creation. It's like the story's got rhythm. It's like every every stanza begins with and God said and God created and God saw that it was good. It's like you turn it on in the car and all the kids are like, "Yeah, and God saw that it was good." It's like the catchy chorus of the song. That's what we did back in the 90s. It's like Wow, that was like a double-edged sword for me and you. Um, It's like God weaves goodness in the fabric of creation. Well, good, that's a subjective term, right? Good. What does that mean? It can't possibly mean that it's not bad. Because this early in creation, there ain't nothing bad yet. Don't worry, it's coming as soon as people get on the scene. Next chapter, it's all in a handbasket. So, what does it mean that creation is good? That word "good" in the Hebrew language, which this is originally written in, is "tov." That's why uh, when I go to Israel next month, and I'll be greeted in the morning with the words "boker tov," good morning. It's that word "tov" that's repeated over and over. And so, uh, biblical scholar Dr. Bill Arnold talks about this word and. Genesis 1 in one of his books on Genesis, and he says that good means this. Precisely what God had in mind. It's just what God ordered. No more and no less than perfection and completely satisfying to God in every respect. The world and everything in it pleases God. Now that sounds pretty good. This is what God creates. Now, there is one time that the Bible deviates from the goodness chorus. It's on the sixth day of creation. It's right after God creates humankind, male and female. It does not say, and God saw that it was good. Instead, it says, you've got the cheat sheet. God saw that it was very good. Y'all, it's up on the screen. It's cool. God saw that it was very good. Humanity stands out among God's creation as not just good, as one good thing among many, but as very good. People are special in the eyes of God. And it's not just that uh, no other thing in creation was crafted after the image of God is it's people that are good in this way very good and it gets better look at this verse right here it says let us make human beings in our image so God created human beings in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them wow that's a lot of repetition do you think God created people in his image or what People have the unique honor of being a reflection of God's own self at creation. God did not model anything else on his own image. That unique honor belongs to people. Very good. A reflection of God's own self. So listen. You have God's imprint on you. You created, and crafted in the image of God. Well, not only did God create a good, Tove universe, but he also created a purposeful world. God intentionally created everything. He didn't accidentally spill some test tubes one day and poof, oh, out comes a slug, I guess we'll keep it, or spill a little bit of something on the ground and say, ooh, I guess we'll call that people. no. No matter what you think about people, it didn't happen that way. God intentionally spoke creation into existence. By desire, by command, by will. And that means that God created humanity on purpose. God wanted people to exist, and that was very good. God wanted people to exist. So I don't know what's going on in your life today, I I know a little. I don't know a lot. I don't know who, years ago or today, is giving you the impression that you're not worth much to anybody else. And I don't know who in here has convinced themselves that they don't have a single thing to offer to the world. I don't know who that is, but listen to me. You are not an accident. You were made on purpose. God crafted you, knit you together, molded and modeled you because he chose to, and he said, that is very good. You have maybe heard it said that you were created on purpose and for a purpose. So God created a good and purposeful universe. And because there's no way to cover even everything in Genesis chapter 1 in one uh, sermon or even series, we'll stop here today. But God created the universe for community. We'll stop after here today, just to be clear, Porter. I want a contract coming my way. So God declared a lot of things as good in creation. You all still with me? All right. It's hot up here. Are you still awake? Okay, praise the Lord. We just uh, But there was one thing. Of all the things that God said was good in creation, there was one thing that God said was not good. He said, ooh, I don't know about that there. Take a look at this verse in Genesis chapter 2. Then God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It is not good for people to be alone. So right there in creation, God designs a solution to loneliness. We are designed to be with people and to be in relationship with God and people. Now in the second account of creation here in chapter 2, God creates a woman, Eve, as the suitable helper, which is what many translations call it, a suitable helper for the man. Now, man, I need you to listen to me. Wake up. Now, seriously, lean in. If you walk up to a woman in your life and you say, the Bible said that you exist to help me, you are going to get slapped. And rightly so. And don't you come running to me because you deserve it. Suitable helper. The phrase suitable helper back in the Hebrew, and I won't butcher it because there are some people here who know the language better than I do, but the meaning of the phrase suitable helper is a strange one. It means the same and opposite. It means one who is like and opposite. It doesn't mean one who is lower or higher. It is one who is of like kind and opposite. Keep this in mind, every person. Okay, we can move on from there. Uh, God created us for relationship. God made us for relationships with God and other people. And just like it was not good in the beginning, loneliness is not good still. It's interesting. I mean, thanks to technology, we have more access to people than I think we've ever had in all of history. And yet studies continually show that loneliness is on the rise. Isn't that interesting? It's like an epidemic. There was an article that came out uh, last May, I believe. It was called Death by Loneliness. And it talks about the increase in suicide rates and drug abuse among teens and adults. And statistics the article mentioned also show that over the number of years, the average lifespan for Americans is decreasing. Good news, sorry. But listen to the author's conclusion. What is driving us to self-destruction? There are many factors, all with one unifying theme. We are no longer living in community with one another, and consequently, we are lonely. There's a great book I'd recommend to you. It's called Alone Together. It's about the epidemic of constant flow of information phones screens and televisions and how that fractures community and I know I needed it when I read it and you might as well but I need to say because we mentioned some of these statistics I need to tell each and every one of you I wish I could look each of you in the eye at one time I don't know what's happening but I need you to know that your life matters it matters you're so precious you don't always feel that way, and you might not feel that way right now, but I need you to know your life matters. And I need you to know that if you say, well, I'm not so sure about that preacher, and I'm quite on the brink, please don't leave here without coming to talk to me. I want to help you connect with people who can guide you in healing, and we want to walk with you. Even if we have to do so quietly, where we can respect your boundaries and privacy, but we want to walk with you doing that but you might also be struggling with loneliness. And if you are struggling with loneliness, I believe that God put you in this place today for a reason. Because you need a family. Because you need to be known. And guess what? We can't wait to know you. That's what we do Because as messed up as the world is, we know that the beginning of the story starts with a creation that was made for relationship with God and other people. So as messed up as it is, we say we know the beginning and you need people and I need people and we need meaningful relationships together. And we would love to share that with you. And so don't leave here today without connecting with someone and everybody else. Church, listen to me. This is another one of those lean-in moments. Don't you dare leave this place without connecting with someone. Church is not the thing you do at a certain time of day and then go home. It's the people that we are, and we are the community of faith, and people need you. People need what God has created through the church, through this place, a place to connect, a place to know that we are loved by people of all different kinds, a place where we can be uh, uh, supported and encouraged and even at times challenged when we need to be. Because God created us for community. One of our greatest desires as the church is to provide people with meaningful relationships. So, long story short, The Bible begins with creation. God created a good and purposeful universe and he made it for relationships with God and other people. So I want to offer you two invitations today. Do you recognize in your own, just in your own soul, your fall from the goodness with which God intended you? Do you hear those words, humanity was very good, and say, not so sure I'm included in that? Do you know somewhere deep, do you feel the call that God created you to be in relationship with Him and yet you are so far from Him? Well, the good news is that God wants to recreate you. God wants to renew you and rejuvenate you and redeem you through Jesus Christ our Savior. Where you can have a clean and a fresh heart, white as snow, where you can return and grow into the goodness that God always intended for you to have before sin and you could begin life as God wants you to live it and what a blessed thing that would be and so I wonder if you feel that in your soul and so in just a moment if that's you I invite you to come to the altar as we sing our hymn and have a time of ministry and you might say well I am a Christian but boy when they say very good they're not talking about me these days might be time to start again. The second invitation is this. Are you lonely? Are you getting tired of going it alone? It might be time today to admit that no man is an island. I believe that's Simon and Garfunkel, and they were right. The good news is this is what we do. We join in meaningful relationship with people. So if you're longing for people to journey with you, we would love to help you connect. Any one of us would love to help you connect because you and all of us were created for community. Well, these invitations are for you. I invite you to come as you feel led. If you don't feel like getting up, raise your hand. I'll run to you. The altar is open and let the Lord do his business. Will you stand and sing with us? The invitation is number 14.